Hello, welcome to VocPod, the podcast that deals with all things vocation and discernment in the Church of England. In this episode, I'm doing my first book review, and I decided to look at Michael Ramsey's The Christian Priest Today, simply because it is probably still one of the finest books available on the subject of being a priest. In the original version of the book, published in 1972, each chapter was taken from one of Bishop Michael's charges, which is a kind of pep talk that bishops give to ordinands just before they're ordained. I'm reading the updated edition, published a decade later, that includes two new chapters at the end. Reading through what Bishop Michael has to say to those who are about to embark on a life of ordained ministry, I'm immediately struck by the depth of experience that his words spring from. He was, of course, Archbishop of Canterbury, but before that he served as Archbishop of York, and before that as Bishop of Durham, and in various seats of theology both at Cambridge and Durham, as well as parish work earlier on in his life. In that sense, Bishop Michael saw priestly ministry from a number of different perspectives. The hands-on, practical work of parish ministry, the theological ruminating about what our faith means, the leadership perspective of a senior bishop, and the worldwide view of the Anglican Communion that comes with being Archbishop of Canterbury. Given all of that, I think it would be understandable if somehow the reality of priestly ministry for most ordained people got lost in that breadth of experience. But it really doesn't. In the same way these chapters were originally spoken to a group of ordinands about to get ordained, reading through them you can almost feel the eye contact, the wry smiles, and the sense of collegiality of a wise old priest giving sound but gentle advice to the next generation of ministers. But let's not get too misty-eyed early on. It is still a book written long before the ordaining of women to the priesthood by a man nearing the end of his ministry. If there are rich depths of experience to be plumbed here, there is also the voice of a church that almost no longer exists. It is perhaps possible to overlook the use of male pronouns to describe priesthood throughout the book, but the demands of ministry today, where multi-parish benefices are becoming more normal, increasing levels of bureaucracy and management abound, and use of new technology is becoming more mainstream, there are moments when the book feels almost quaint and even a bit antiquated. One example of this is his habit of dropping in some untranslated Greek or Latin at random intervals, a dead giveaway of his assumption that most candidates for ordained life will have received something of a classical education. I'm afraid my opinion of this is the same as when I listen to a preacher who decides to quote in ancient languages without translation. If the majority of your listeners won't understand what you're saying, what's the point in saying it? Yet, in other ways, the book still feels remarkably fresh and relevant. The opening chapter, simply titled Why the Priest?, is a short but immensely astute analysis of society's increasing suspicion of institutions and a questioning of the relevance of their representatives in the modern world. Think about today's ponderings of whether there should be bishops in the House of Lords. To answer the question, Bishop Michael more or less brushes aside the questions of relevance and status that a priest might have enjoyed in earlier periods of history, and focuses instead on the role of the priest as Christ's representative in a community. He is adamant that the role of the priest is not about the ordained person. It is about the God they serve, the people they serve in God's name, 
and the community to whom they proclaim God's love and forgiveness. If Bishop Michael was first saying these things at a time when human well-being was becoming more medicalised and intellectual, his insistence on speaking of the sometimes unpopular subjects of sin and forgiveness echo a universal human need to deal with issues of regret and the grief it causes and the release that forgiveness can offer. At this point, you might expect the next chapter to be a theological exploration of absolution or something similar, but instead Bishop Michael takes us in another direction. Titled Man of Prayer, this chapter lays a very deliberate foundation stone. If a priest is to be nothing else, they must be a person of prayer. It is from this bedrock that everything else a priest might be springs from and is supported by. He starts with a challenge. How do we learn to be people of prayer? His answer is simple. We learn to pray the same way the disciples of Jesus did, by being in close proximity to him on a daily basis. For Bishop Michael, the idea of prayer is less about a shopping list of things we might need to bring up with God in a kind of review meeting, and more about emulating the idea of Jesus taking our humanity with him to reside in the presence of God the Father. Tying this in with the question all ordinands face in the ordination service, will you be diligent in prayer? Bishop Michael simply remarks, you will be promising to be daily with God, with the people on your heart. Bishop Michael's more Catholic tendencies come out at this point, his understanding of being daily with God rooted in the recital of the daily office and the offering of the Eucharist. But that does nothing to diminish the broad sweep of his intention here. Time with God is time well spent, however it is done. He states, The daily time of being quietly with God becomes adoration, and because you are with him and near him whose name is love, you will have the people you care for on your heart. If there is an overarching theme, or an underlying theology to this book, that last sentence probably captures it most succinctly. The remainder of the original book looks in more detail at the various aspects of priestly ministry, preaching and mission and pastoral care and so on. But that aspect of being with God with the people on your heart remains central to Bishop Michael's understanding of what a priest is. So there is another aspect that I want to focus on now, which is the nearly prescient capacity Bishop Michael has to casually write about themes which have a huge impact today, even more so perhaps than those first hearers of these words back in the 1960s. The main example of this is an almost throwaway line that we find in chapter 6, titled The Priest and Politics. In setting a hypothetical example of what priesthood might look like in practice, he says this, Racial discrimination is blasphemy. He doesn't do anything to expand on this theme until later in the same chapter, but it's a statement that rests atop a deep wellspring of unspoken theological conviction about what it means to be made in the image of God, about incarnation, about salvation and resurrection, about humanity's ascension with Christ to the right hand of God. Later, Bishop Michael talks about the importance of the priestly minister engaging with world events by extending this thought. He writes, To my generation, with its old-fashioned liberalism, 
the race problem meant getting white people and black people to be kind to one another. To your generation, the race problem often means the seething unrest of black people who will tolerate white domination no longer. Following the murder of George Floyd and the rise of Black Lives Matter, this observation of where priestly ministry might speak of justice and God's impartiality could have been written yesterday. It also stands as a pertinent corrective to those who argue that social views are primarily shaped by generational forces. But if we think that Bishop Michael's understanding of priestly work is tied up in the grand sweep of historical events, we would be making an error. He finishes the chapter with a beautiful reminder that Jesus spent most of his time with small groups of people and thought nothing of spending hours with individuals. He says this, Amidst the vast scene of the world's problems and tragedies, you may feel that your own ministry may feel so small, so insignificant, so concerned with the trivial, but you will never be nearer to Christ than in caring for one man, one woman, one child. His authority will be given to you as you do this, and his joy will be yours as well. I'm going to move now to the two chapters that were added to the book in the later edition titled The God Who Calls, and Priesthood, Jesus and the People of God. In the first of these new chapters, The God Who Calls, Bishop Michael lays down a challenge to clerical elitism by reminding us that God's call is universal. Indeed, the first thing God called into being is creation itself. God's call of things into existence and into redemption are not fixed by human terms, but by God's terms only. It has not escaped notice that this chapter would have been written at roughly the same time as what we call ministry division today would have been creating the criteria for selection to help the discernment process of those candidating for training to ordained ministry. Whether this was in Bishop Michael's mind as he wrote is hard to determine, but the chapter sets quite firmly the notion that the pattern of calling to ministry today follows the same as that set by Jesus in his earthly ministry. A community is called to know Jesus. Individuals from that community are called to undertake different types of ministry, representing that of Christ himself. They are called to be with Jesus and to be sent out into the world, a pattern of alternating actions that underpin and sustain all ministries. The final chapter then takes this understanding of representative ministry and sets it in historical context. For anyone who is curious about why the Church's Catholic and Apostolic have a threefold order of ordained ministry, this short final chapter would be an excellent place to start. Rooted in the epistles of the New Testament and the way these were understood by the first generations of Christians, Bishop Michael lays out an understanding of priestly ministry that represents Christ to a community and shares in his compassion and ministry to them. I'm going to finish by noting that the reflections Bishop Michael offers are never defensive. This book is not an apologetic for the existence of the Church or of the threefold order of ordained ministry that the Church of England recognises. At no point does the book feel like an argument or a polemic. The advice offered is simply that, advice to people about to embark on a new phase of their life in the company of Christ and in step with the countless generations of priests that have served their communities before them. 
The tone of the writing, although perhaps a little old-fashioned, nonetheless creates a sense of deep encouragement and offers layer upon layer of wisdom that bears repeated reading and reflection. Join us again for our next episode, which is one of the Coffee with Vogpod series, when I'll be talking to Sarah Hewitt about pioneer ministry. So until then, goodbye.